winning author Isabella Maldonado wore a gun and a badge for two decades in real life before turning her talents to writing about crime rather than chasing criminals. Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Isabella talks about how The Cipher, the first book in her series featuring FBI agent Nina Guerrera, is currently in development with Netflix, starring Jennifer Lopez. She talks too about how she came to crack the thriller suspense market. We've got a free book giveaway, the historic spring fiction book offer, 30 authors getting together, all offering free books. Check the show notes for this episode for the link to that offer. That's where you'll find links to Isabella's books and website. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content, like hearing Isabella's answers to the Getting to Know You 5 Quick Fire Questions by becoming a Binge Reading on Patreon supporter. It's the only way you can hear those questions is by getting access to the exclusive bonus content. It'll only cost less than a cup of coffee a month, and there's lots of great and extra information there for you to access. Details at patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. But now, here's Isabella. Hello there, Isabella, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Look, you're a former police officer. You had over two decades in the force, and you're also a graduate of the FBI National Agency at Quantico. Now, that background has enabled you to seamlessly, it seems, move into writing novels that are attracting wide attention. You're very much regarded as a writer to watch, and you've had awards for your work, and now you've got some exciting news about a movie project. What's happening there? Well, yeah, it is. It is very, very exciting. What happened is that like right after The Cipher came out, which is the first book in the Nina Guerrera series, Hollywood called. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to put it. And uh, actually, there was interest from several different you know studios and, and different people in Hollywood. And so I uh, had to get, I have a literary agent out of New York and then had to get a Hollywood agent and then brokered a deal. And what ended up happening is Jennifer Lopez has her own production company, New Yorican Productions, and she teamed up with Netflix and they came in with just the strongest deal. They they did a really, you know, a great job. And um, so we went with that. And so it's very, very exciting. It's going to be really wonderful to see my book come to life in that way. Yes. Now I can imagine, I can believe why she would be attracted to the story because I don't know if she'll be playing the, the main role as well, but it is a wonderful main role for a Latina actress, isn't it? Because Nina's... Well, yeah, but uh, actually... She is going to star in it. Ah, fantastic. So, yeah, she she will she's going to produce and she's going to star and she what they're going to do is they're just going to make changes 
So that means, you know, people who have read the book will know that the lead character is 27 years old. So they're just going to make changes to, you know, the, the character will be more age appropriate. So, yes. Yes. Yes, but it is a great role because Nina is a a marvellous character, both in terms of her strength of character inwardly, but also she gets a lot of kick-ass action, as they say. So Mm -hmm. it's a great combination of the emotional and the action side of it. Now, that's something that seems to me that you like to introduce into your stories, the emotional growth as well as the very strong plot lines and action. Would I be right in that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love reading thrillers as much as the next person, but I really, you know, I think that the today's more modern thrillers are bringing in more of an emotional component. I've I've noticed that. And so I wanted to have like a fully developed character arc where the reader goes with the character on, first of all, a physical journey that is extremely tough, but also an emotional journey. And it seems like it's really resonating with readers. They're really enjoying sort of the dual level with that. Yes. Now, in the first book called The Cipher, as you've mentioned, she has had a very narrow escape from a serial killer when she's only 16, although at the time we don't realise it's a serial killer, but she had this very narrow escape. Now, years Mm -hmm. later, she's a a police officer, and she's jumped by some random hoodlums in a park. And a video of that attack goes viral because she gets the best um, the best end of the deal. And her previous attacker sees this thing online and is suddenly enraged about the thought that she got away the first time and he's going to come after her again. So that's an amazingly a dramatic way to start it. And it becomes a real nail-biter of a story because there's a lot of social media as well involved. So she gets a lot of external pressure about what's going on. It suddenly becomes a national story. So that's the way that you kind of tag team the action and the emotional side of things, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I wanted to include a social media component in there. Just from my own experience in law enforcement, the public do sometimes get heavily involved in a case, especially a headline-grabbing case, it can really be nightmarish at times to work a case and have the public also kind of talking about it and trading information and gossip about it. But it's no longer just gossip around town. It's gossip all over the internet. And I just I just kind of wanted to to put that forward. And people just, they do get sucked in. And I wanted to show the effect that had on the investigation for the FBI agents. Yeah. And in the second book in the series, A Different Dawn, which came out just late last year, didn't it? In in October, was it? It was in August. Oh, sorry, Mm -hmm. August. Yeah, yeah. Once again, there is a strong social media component. So they're very much 21st century stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was traditional media and social media get involved. I just, I feel like, you know, that's just, that's such a realistic part of what you do. Law enforcement nowadays, it's nothing is done in a vacuum. Everything that you do, you know, you can just assume that you're, that someone is recording what you're doing and that people are posting it. They're streaming about it. They're doing live commentary when you're in the middle of doing it. It's just a part of what goes on in law enforcement nowadays. It's wonderful too, that the 
reality aspect of it comes through so strongly because of your personal experience in that area. And one of the things that's interesting is the way that the local police force sometimes have to interface with the FBI and the FBI come in and there's that maybe a little bit of a territorial thing going on. You've personally experienced that as well with your FBI training, I think, haven't you? Yes, exactly. And a lot of people don't understand it. And so I, I try to make it really clear that the the FBI has jurisdiction only in a certain kind of case and that your average, I hate to use the term average murder, but I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, a murder, a normal murder that would occur in any kind of city or town is investigated by the local police, not the FBI. The FBI can be invited in to assist by the local police. And that is always the case unless the FBI have primary jurisdiction. And those are just certain kinds of cases, like if it's federal land or if it involves an abduction over state lines or if it's um, a certain type of case like a bank robbery. You know, there, there are certain specific cases where the FBI has primary jurisdiction. Otherwise, it is local law enforcement. And sometimes, yeah, it can it can be. There can be different feelings about it, but the FBI are always invited in. And as a local law enforcement officer, a lot of times you like to have them come in because they bring a ton of resources. They have a huge budget and they have tens of thousands of agents and they can just they can bring a lot to a case, even for a large police department. Yeah. Yeah. So did you always have a passion for writing all the time that you were a police officer? Did you have the secret dream that sometime you might like to be a writer? Oh, yes, absolutely. Starting from when I was a young girl, I remember the the book that um, was really transformative for me in that sense was A Wrinkle in Time. Um, I read that book as a young girl and it transported me to such a different time and place that I just felt like wow, this is magic, you know, that you can you can take someone with your imagination and your words into a totally different world. And that's when I knew I wanted to write. But I ended up going into law enforcement. But the whole time I was in law enforcement, I was always avidly reading all the time. And so I always figured when I when I retire, I figure by that time, I'll have some stories to tell. Um, not necessarily true stories. I write fiction, but I, I, I feel like I will, I will have been enough of a student of human nature that I can write stories with realistic people in them. Yes, absolutely. You very much tackled that writing as a second career, it seems to me, looking around at your website a little bit and some of the things that you note there. You approached it with a very uh, hard-headed strategic way it seems to me tell us a bit about what you thought when you stopped right when you stopped the police force what was going on in your head at that time well um when I retired I had like 22 years on uh the department and when I retired I retired as a as a captain and I was the commander of special investigations and forensics so at that time you know I felt like I you know had an understanding of investigations and stuff and I knew that I wanted to write and I wanted to write crime fiction. 
And people have asked me, why did you choose to write fiction as opposed to writing true crime? Because true crime is very popular. And I would, you know, naturally, you'd think that's what I would want to do. But in reality, after having done police work for over two decades, I just thought I want to write stories so that that they end the way that they should instead of the way that they often do. (laughs) The way they end in real life is so unsatisfying. And the most Motives behind real crime in real life are so insensate. I mean, they're just, they're, they make no sense. They're irrational, these crimes, you know? And so in fiction, you can assign a motive, you can analyze it, you can give a satisfying ending, you can do all the things that you could never do in, in real life. So when I knew I wanted to do that, I realized that fiction writing and creative writing were totally different from all of the type of writing that I had been doing during my career. And I knew I had a lot to learn in order to be able to tell a good story that, and to tell it in a way that people would want to read it. So I began to sort of study the art and craft of writing. And so, yeah, I, I spent about five years really doing a deep dive and I published three short stories in that time frame. And I tried different techniques. You know, one was humorous, one was first person, one was third person, multiple point of view. I mean, I, I just, I experimented with these short stories. They all were able to get published, but it was after the third one, I thought, okay, I've kind of nailed down how I want to do it and kind of how the story needs to go. Now I'm ready to tackle the novel. And I did. And I that's when I wrote Blood's Echo, which is the first book in the Miranda Cruz series about a homicide detective in Phoenix. And I was very fortunate that went on to win an award for best first novel. And people really seemed drawn to it. And I wrote, you know, two more books in that series before turning to this new series with featuring an FBI agent. Yeah, yeah, no, that's wonderful. Part of the uh, Nina story, there is a little bit of a hint of romance there. You know, there's a, a <laughs> police officer, Kent, who just keeps on popping up and being there when she needs him. And I was really fascinated by a blog on your website called Cops in Love, The Untold Story, which goes into the pitfalls for a well, any police officer, probably male or female. It's a bit like journalists, if you're working funny hours and you're working in a rather closed environment, you end up socialising with your workmates a lot and then then that becomes, well, particularly complicated probably for a police officer. And so tell us a bit about how you found that in the police force yourself, but also how you've treated that for Nina in the story. Yeah, it is a challenge. And and I would say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it is harder for a female police officer um, to find love than it is for a male, you know, only because it's a traditionally male dominated profession. And it still is to this, to a large extent, even to this day, it's a, it's still, there are far more males than females. And back when I was first on the department back in the eighties, you know, there were several times where I was the only female on the squad, you know, depending on which assignment I was working and yeah, you would get uh, pigeonholed and stuff like that. And then dating was a challenge because I think that men didn't quite know how to handle the situation. You know, when I when I would date 
guys who weren't on the force, first of all, it was hard to meet anybody because I was working all these bizarre hours. I had rotating shifts. My schedule was insane. I never had a set schedule, rotating days off, rotating hours, you know, sometimes midnight, sometimes morning. I mean, who knows? And so it was very hard to even have a regular schedule to have a social life. And then when I would finally meet a guy and, you know, would go on a date, a lot of these guys were, they were either very intimidated, I think, um, dating a female police officer. They felt like, I don't know, maybe their masculinity was being challenged in some way, even though I didn't do that overtly by any intention. Or some of them were incredibly overly fascinated. Like they really, really kind of got excited about the idea that I had a gun and that I had a badge and, you know, whatever. And (laughs) that I could shoot and it, you know, they, you know, that I had some, you know, takedown moves or whatever. And it, it was just a little too, a little too fascinated with my weaponry and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, yeah, this isn't right. So a lot of the women that I know, at least back in those days, it, you know, it's probably different now ended up marrying. If they did get married, they ended up marrying other law enforcement officers only because it was kind of a challenge. Some didn't, but it was often a challenge. And so uh, that did happen. And that did happen to me. Oh, know, it did. So I, I, uh, I knew that you ha- you were now very happily raising a son. And I was quite curious, yeah, yeah. maybe did you marry a police officer or not? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but I would imagine also that it would then be quite hard for two police officers to continue in the force and have a family life as well for the very reasons you've mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And actually for that reason, I ended up, I put off having a child until later in life. I was busy, you know, climbing the ladder and, you know, doing different, you know, studying and doing other different things. And so I did, I put it off until later. And so what happened is when I had the baby, I ended up doing, I retired three years earlier. Instead of 25 years, I have 22 years on. So I took a slightly early, earlier retirement when I had the baby because I realized that I wanted to, um, I did want to have a stable home environment and there wouldn't have been, you know, with both of us working because he's a police commander. I was a police captain. We both were really super busy and on call 24 seven. Life was crazy. And so somebody had to do it and I decided to be the one to do it. So that's fantastic. And what mm-hmm. does your husband think about your books? Oh, yeah. He, you know, it's funny. He likes to listen to the audiobooks. He's a huge audiobook fan. And so that has been, it's, it's kind of fun, but he actually gets to, a lot of people talk about how other writers talk about how their spouse is their first reader. And so like, that is not the case with me. He hears the finished product when it's all done and it's been produced in a studio and it comes out on audiobook. He loves them. He really does. But yeah. Does he act as a bit of a sounding board for some of the technical aspects at times? Absolutely. Yeah, he does. He does. He helps me to reel it in when I, sometimes my imagination takes a flight of fancy you know he only just retired two years ago so he's very very current but yeah sometimes I get carried away and he's like yeah I don't know about that you know and then I have to remember oh yeah that's true that's true you're right (laughs) (laughs) that's great but I guess the Latina aspect as well as well as being a female in the force that you're Mm -hmm. Latina background, it would have been a huge advantage in many ways, but also something that you were probably always rather aware of. Would that be true? 
Yes, there were many times, especially again, way back when I was, you know, starting out on the force, I was one of, there were only three, to my recollection, there were only, maybe only two, there were two or three only uh, Latina, you know, female police officers on the entire department. And so what happened is I ended up being on call 24-7 very early in my career because they would call me out to translate when they would have like, let's say a sex assault victim who was, did not speak English very well. And they needed to, you know, they needed someone who could speak Spanish and also a woman so she could talk about what happened and feel comfortable rather than trying to talk to a male. And so, I mean, good grief. I was doing that. And then there was another, uh, another thing that they used to call me out all the time for was death notifications. And, you know, I actually make allusions to this in my writing about how hard it is to do a death notification. I really did a lot of them in the Latino community because I think that, again, the department felt like it would come easier from a woman to give the family the bad news that a loved one had died, you know, by either accident or a crash or heaven forbid a murder or whatever the case might be. Um, I would, I felt like I was the angel of death at one point, you know, they would see me coming and they would already start crying because they knew it was going to be bad news. So yeah, there were, there were times where it was something of a liability, but also other times where it really did help because I was able to work even as a very, very young officer, I was able to work cases helping to translate. I would work cases that were way beyond what a rookie officer would work. I got involved in working homicides and robberies and sex assaults and fatal accidents and other kinds of things. And so I was able to learn about investigations really early, and it was very, very helpful to do that. We're taking a short break. We'll be back with Isabella Maldonado very shortly. If you love historical mystery series, take a look at Jenny Wheeler's Of Golden Blood series. Yes, that's me. I write historical fiction as well as do these podcasts. It's set in colourful California of the 1860s and 70s. Dangerous Desires is book 10 in the Of Gold and Blood mystery series. It's in digital bookstores on March 15 and it's available on pre-order at a special launch price of $1.99 now. And now we're back to Isabella Maldonado. Look, perhaps moving away from talking about the specific books to a little bit of a wider look at your career, when you began in your writing, what was your initial goal? I mean, you've probably gone a lot further even now than what you initially might have expected to. What did you initially want from it when you began? Well, really, I think that this is this is true of many writers. My goal was that I wanted to tell stories that moved people. And part of it was to really try to attract as many readers as possible because in a vacuum, if you even if you tell if you have an amazing story to tell, if no one can hear the story, no one can read the story, then you haven't touched as many lives as you want to. And so I wanted to tell stories that were both exciting and emotionally resonant and to get these feelings across. And part of what I wanted to get across was how difficult it is to be a cop. 
or an FBI agent in, in the case of Nina Guerrero. But how difficult it is to be in law enforcement and to humanize those in law enforcement and to use everything that I'd learned to also really discuss human nature. I, I love people. I love all kinds of people. And I find people endlessly fascinating and to sort of do a deep dive in exploring human nature and what makes people tick. That's kind of the basics of it. Yeah, yeah, that's fabulous. Just turning to Isabella as reader, because we are coming to the end of our time together. This is the joys of binge reading. And we like to give listeners a chance to find out about books they might be fascinated by that they haven't heard of. Just a couple of suggestions from you. What are you reading at the moment and what would you recommend? Let's see. I just finished reading Near Dark by Brad Thor. He is he is an excellent, if you like a, a thriller, I mean a, a real fast-paced thriller. Greg Hurwitz, any of you know his Orphan X novels, just amazing, absolutely fantastic. And uh, J.A. Jance is a, I'm a ah. huge fan of hers. I know. I love her pretty much everything she writes. You really can't go wrong. She has like four different series out there. And, you know, you really, you really can't go wrong there. Yeah, actually, we interviewed J.A. just late last year. And it was really interesting because when we did the end of year top 10 for the year, which we've done the last couple of years, which we just based entirely on the number of downloads. So it's a kind of listener suggested thing. She came out on top. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yep. fabulous. Now, looking back down the tunnel of time, would you do anything differently in terms of the way that you've managed your writing career? If you had your time all over again, is there anything you'd suggest for beginner writers that might be a good thing for them to be aware of? Well, yeah, there is actually. Um, if I had it to do over again, what happened is when I wrote that very first book, the very first manuscript, I had just barely gotten it finished and I had a chance to speak to an acquiring editor and, you know, for a, a publishing house. And, and normally they don't accept unagented manuscripts, but I, I literally like the ink wasn't even dry on my manuscript. And I probably, well, I needed one more pass through to edit, but the story was complete, but it was time for the conference. And so I went ahead, you know, they were accepting pitches right there. So I went ahead and pitched the story and lo and behold, and much to my shock and surprise, they got back to me with an offer for a three book deal. Like, bam, I did not have an agent. I had not even really put the finishing time. I mean, I needed to do one more editing pass. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I, I didn't know who to even talk to. I'd never been published by, you know, a publishing house like this and, you know, with a novel and stuff. So I just took the deal because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I better just take this deal and everything. And that's something, something that I, I shouldn't have done looking back on it. You know, <laughs> I ended up getting an agent later and, you know, have since I understand, you know, that that really was the better way to do it was to, you know, to get yeah. an agent first, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. So I, I just, I mean, it was a bird in the hand and I just took it, but uh, you know, because I was kind of concerned. I'm like, what if, what if no one else, I mean, you hear all these stories about people who go 10, 20, 30 years and no one ever publishes, they get, you know, a hundred rejections and all that stuff. And literally 
Now, see, all the other authors out there are going to throw rocks at me when I say this, but literally the very first acquiring editor who read it offered me a three-book deal. Wow. Very first, right out of the chute. So I'm like, okay, this is lightning striking. That's what the odds are of that happening. It may never strike again. I better do it. So, but it it turns out that, you know, it probably was not the best move. (laughs) It's a nice position to be in, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us what your next 12 months looks like. I mean, I know you've got a third Nina book coming out this year. Tell us a bit about that and looking ahead a bit. Okay. Yeah, the um, the third Nina book is um, going to be called The Falcon, and that is coming out in June of this year. And so just in a few short months, and as a matter of fact, I'm about to, in a, in a couple of days, I'm going to get the final, like final, final copy edits, the little tiny, you know, little tweaks where they make sure everything is just perfectly lined up. And I'm really excited about it. It's a really, wow, you know, talk about a creepy villain. It's really awesome. It's also different from the other stuff I've done. It's really, it's, it's fun. It's going to be a really different kind of book and I'm really enjoying uh, writing it. And in the meantime, I'm also working on the next book, which is going to be a brand new series. And that is, I'm still getting all the ideas straight in that one, but I'm, I've just started writing on that one and that'll be coming out, you know, the following year. So there's a lot going on. So, but yeah, I'm getting ready to start yet another series. So, and so can we assume that this will be the final Nina one or is it? It's, it, it, Probably, but you never know. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Now, do you like interacting with your readers, and where can they find you online? Oh yeah, just like I was saying, I I do I love people, and I find them interesting and endlessly fascinating. I'm an extrovert by nature. A lot of writers tell me they're introverts, and that's really not me. I'm an extrovert. I have to. It's hard for me to sit at my computer and just write by myself, but that is what I have to do. But that's actually against my nature. So yeah, I love to interact. And if they go to my website um, at isabellamaldonado.com, there they can find you know everything they need to interact whichever way they want to do it. There's all my social media sites are there as well as, you know, my Amazon author page. And there's, I think there's an email link on there too. There there are many different ways to reach out, but absolutely, I think that's, and then you can also hear the, the latest about the books. And I have a newsletter that you can sign up for so that that way you get first dibs at all the all the latest and greatest information. So that's that's really the best way to do it is to go to my website. Okay, wonderful, Isabella. And we'll have all of those links on the show notes that we publish with the episode. So people will be able to Great. find them online. That's, that's wonderful. Look, thanks so much for your time with us today. And we'll look forward to that uh, movie with a lot of interest. Yes, <laughs> yes me too. Me too. <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I could see it being a series, actually. I mean, once they've done book one, they'll definitely want to do book two. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. That's it for today. Next week, we're talking to Susan Kiernan-Lewis about her romances with a touch of dystopia located in France and Ireland. What happens when the world as we know it breaks down and we're left to fend for ourselves? She talks about that and her writing on The Joys of Binge Reading next week. So it's bye for now. Don't forget to join us again next week. And in the meantime, happy reading.